Hey everyone, and welcome to That's My 20 Cents, a podcast created to champion women, their achievements, and what it took to get them there. Hosted by Maggie Bale and Hannah Martin. What's up guys, and welcome back to another episode of That's My 20 Cents. I'm Maggie. And I'm Hannah. Today's episode has been a long time in the making, and we could not be more excited to welcome the Sawney sisters, the creators of Sawney. Sawney is a high-end clothing company focused on making South Asian clothing both accessible and beautiful. These two sisters, Ritika and Nikki, were determined to bring their cultural identities together through a brand that made the shopping experience for South Asian fashion more resonant for South Asian Americans. With silky soft linings, pockets, and intricate detailing, this company is determined to make South Asian clothing available in a way that has not been done before. They are also focused on creating a sustainable business that supports ethical manufacturing, fair wages, reducing waste, and minimizing their carbon footprint. There wasn't a go-to brand in the U.S. for South Asian clothing, but now there is. So find your future fit with Sony because you deserve to look and feel your best without having to travel the world to make it happen. All right, guys, we're so excited to welcome the Sony sisters here with us today. Hey, guys, how are you? We're great. How are you? We're awesome. We're so excited to get to know you guys tonight. If you guys can kind of introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about you. Um, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear it. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Um, this is Brithika talking. I'm one of the co-founders of Sony. I am currently a student at North Carolina State University, um, majoring in fashion textile management. I started Sony with my sister when I was ooh, was it 16 or 17? I think one or the other. Now I can't even remember. Um, and I think you'll hear a little bit more about our story um, starting Sony. Um, but yeah, I started it when I was in high school and now I'm currently in college studying it. Um, Nikki, you wanna go? Sure. Hi, I'm Nikki Shim, the Sony, the other Sony sister, the older Sony sister. <laughs> and I graduated from UNC Chapel Hill in 2015. I studied political science and business over there and then had a super brief stint in federal consulting before I went to work for a startup accelerator for early stage media companies. And basically over there, I was I was helping startups kind of get to the next level and specifically about apply design thinking to their ventures. And so after a few years of, of doing that, and, and I did that in San Francisco and New York, I kind of had the itch, but but didn't know what to do with it. And Rithika happened to come visit me in New York. And we can go into the story more, but basically that's that's what led us to Sani. That is so cool. Um, it's really cool that you studied political science and business because I study political science and Hannah studies business. So oh, it's awesome. like a mix of the two of us. <laughs> that's really it's a cool. good mix. Okay, so just to kind of kick things off, uh, who taught you guys about fashion or how did you first start to learn about fashion? Yeah, so Nikki and I started Sony with no experience <laughs> in the fashion industry. Um, in fact, I was one who still picked out Nikki's clothes when she had to go places. She's not going to like that. I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> Are and for for special occasions, not on an everyday basis. Not on an everyday basis. <laughs> Make that. Um, but yeah, our experience with fashion was really just I liked shopping. Um, occasionally browse 
magazines like Vogue, um, always wanted to have a good sense of style. But when it came to really knowing about the fashion industry, Nikki and I ourselves were a little clueless. But our parents are actually entrepreneurs. And my dad is in the textile industry himself. Um, he manufactures uniforms for the military and law enforcement. Um, so when we were learning about this, obviously, he wasn't into high fashion, which is what we're in right now. But he really taught us the basics of manufacturing, like how a product turns from something that's an idea in your head to something that you have to give to a consumer at the right price. Um, and our mom actually had an interior design background. So she was really good at seeing different styles, thinking she, she really had the eye. Um, and so we really relied on the both of them when starting Sony and they were big influences in where Sony is today and why Sony is at where it is today. That is really cool that both of your parents are entrepreneurs themselves. I'm sure that that was kind of an interesting way to grow up and, you know, probably influenced the way that you guys got into it. Um, I personally, I think I've said this on like every podcast that we've done, but like I have no idea how to even, you would even break into the fashion world. So how did that become from an idea in your head into actual fruition into real life? Yeah, so so this kind of leads to where I left off when Rithika came to visit me in New York. She was doing a summer coding camp over there and we had to shop for an upcoming family friend's Indian wedding and did everything from WhatsApp video calling our grandmother in India at an odd hour so that she could kind of take us video shopping in some of the boutiques there to shopping online over here there, there weren't as many websites like ours back then and kind of what what came was not at all what we saw online and so it was it was a terrible experience and when we talked to our friends and family members thinking that we just didn't know the best place to go to we realized that most people were one still shopping in india and two uh, it was partially because um, there weren't good options over here and partially because it's just how it had been done, right? You, you, you shop in India, but people didn't like the experience either way, whether abroad or over here. And so for us, it started off as, okay, let's just get a couple of outfits for ourselves and our friends so that the next wedding we have to go to and, and we had a few coming up, then we'll, we'll be good to go. And that was, that was really it. It was meant to be this kind of side thing. And it was really about just taking one step at a time. So, you know, we now maybe one could call it a portfolio, but it wasn't really much of a, much of a portfolio. You know, we were compiling the sorts of um, things that inspired us, like, you know, the, the biggest designers in India, what, what were the things that were kind of, popping up with them, what made their stuff different from the stuff we were seeing on the market, what were the colors we wanted to see, the silhouettes, you know, everything. We kind of compiled that and then, um, you know, took a trip to India. Our, again, our grandmother was over there, so we, we went every now and then and 
it was really a matter of telling every single person we knew what we wanted to do and seeing who would have a lead. So, so really, even though our dad had been in manufacturing, he didn't know, you know, who to, who to go to for these sorts of things. And they had never manufactured in India. And so, but we knew that we, we really had to be in India. So for us, it was like, tell everyone, you know, and someone will know someone who knows someone and that's exactly how it happened. Between that and Googling, we found a few places that we were able to go to with fabrics that we found in the market during that trip and got a couple samples made from each and kind of just went from there. There was one clear standout. And when we got the collection and showed it to our family and friends, you know, we, we got a really good response. and. Again, it was just then one step after another, like we had found this manufacturing partner and down the line, they wouldn't, they ended up not doing business with us anymore because our orders got, you know, sort of went beyond what they needed. But, you know, that's when we found the next one and the next one. And so it was really just a matter of one step at a time, what's working and and what do we need to figure out next? Yeah, I definitely... Like you say that you guys had to shop like with your grandma being in India over like a phone call or like a virtual teleconference. I could not imagine shopping with any of my family members over like, a virtual conference, <laughs> oh, uh, let alone for like a formal event. So is that kind of, I guess you've touched on this a little bit already, but is that kind of what made you realize that there was a market for this in the United States, like just within you guys' area? Um, is that kind of, the overarching inspiration for Sani? It was really a need that we saw among first and second generation South Asian Americans. And so, so us, right, we're, we're first generation, but it was these people like us who had grown up with sort of their Indian or South Asian in general culture, but who had also been in the U.S. their, their whole lives and hadn't found a way to necessarily merge the identities in a lot of aspects of their lives, but we saw you know, in a huge way through fashion. And so for us, that, that was really the need, being able to design something that spoke to this new generation. For us, it was never about let's bring designs from India and you know, like wholesale and just bring them over here. It was, there's, there's this new aesthetic that needs to emerge. And then also how can we create an experience that's modern and reflects the the buying behaviors of today, right? When people are used to try before you buy and rental and really good online stores and all these things that we just weren't seeing anywhere else in the market. Yeah, so obviously this was an incredible idea and there's definitely a space for it. So how did you create a following once you knew that you had a good idea? How did you get your name out there and create a following so that people knew that this option was out there for people who needed this. Yeah. So um, when we started off, we started off like any other business, told everyone we knew, um, had events in person from pop-ups in the Raleigh area and Chapel Hill to fashion shows with different organizations based in the Triangle. Um, Then it kind of went from that to like going to shows in DC and Atlanta. And it was really about a ground game. Um, What we didn't realize at first was um, 
when we started Sani, we said, oh my gosh, we're just going to put up outfits on Instagram. Then we're going to get like 10K followers and then our outfits are going to sell, right? Like th- that was not it. Like that didn't happen at all. Um, it was a lot about talking to people, the ground game, um, because from there, what we realized, um, actually, this is something that Nikki, I think, uh, heard in an Airbnb podcast, like once you get a hundred people to really support your product, it doesn't matter if those hundred people are in New York, North Carolina, California, that's how your network grows. And if you have those strong, like hundred people customer base, um, that's how you're going to continue growing. Um, so we really took that to heart and we focused on the ground game a lot. And I think that's what made the biggest difference in really growing the brand. Absolutely. And I'd say it's really only been in the past year where we've been growing our social media presence and, and getting more traffic from there. Before that, I mean, we we had Instagram, we posted all the time, we, we came up with the content and did things like that, but really weren't weren't putting a, a lot of energy into it. So now it's a mix. Well, I mean, obviously not with the pandemic, there isn't a mix of in person events. But but typically, now there's a mix of in person events with, you know, this sort of digital game. Yeah, and you talk about growing your presence through social media. So tell us, I know that you guys have a huge following on TikTok. And that was actually <laughs> what I showed Maggie whenever I was kind of telling her like, we should reach out to them and ask for an interview, I showed her you guys' TikTok. So kind of tell us about your TikTok and how you use TikTok to get your brand out there as well. Yeah, so TikTok was like our unlikely weapon. (laughs) Um, And so it actually started, Nikki is going to get mad if I don't tell you this part, but she predicted that TikTok was the future months before it was huge. Um, And she kept telling us, we need to be on TikTok. We need to be on TikTok. We need to be on TikTok. And I was just like, yeah, Nikki, whatever. Like, we'll do it. Like, let's focus on Instagram. We'll get it done. And then one day, um, Nikki actually came up to state and we had some time after we had a meeting and she was like, okay, I have an idea for a TikTok. Let's make it. So we had posted like one or two beforehand, um, but obviously they flopped. We didn't really put too much time into it. It was just kind of a video we filmed and then called it a day. Um, So for this one, we actually put a little bit of time into it. Um, Definitely, we're still learning TikTok. So um, I don't know if you all dabble in TikTok, but it's not easy to like edit everything, get the videos. It takes a lot of time. (laughs) Um, But So we posted that one video and that one just went viral. Like I think it's at 3 million views now. And obviously when we saw that kind of result and that kind of positive growth, we realized that there's something here that we need to capitalize on. And from there, we just continue to post TikToks, everything from inspiration behind how we go from a piece of artwork that then inspires an outfit like a Langa to random things that we think people should know about the outfits. Um, and sometimes we even try dancing, but I wouldn't recommend looking at those TikToks <laughs> because they're not our finest moments. <laughs> and and what the only thing I'll add to that is that that like third video that we posted went viral at the end of February slash beginning of March. So it was right at the start of the pandemic. And as you can probably imagine, our core product category of occasion wear 
has not been doing too well over the course of a pandemic when people aren't going to occasions. And so for us, TikTok was also about how do we stay relevant during this time? So um, Rithika obviously gave me a shout out at the beginning, but now I have to give her shout out about how she's she's become a TikTok like mastermind now, honestly. So we we I just film participate in filming the videos and then she kind of compiles the clips in, in like 10, 15 minutes now. And it used to be something that took us hours and hours. So it's slowly become slightly easier, but the algorithm's always changing. And so what works for us in the beginning, which was like she mentioned, the the process videos stopped working for us at a certain time. And we had to find kind of the next thing and the next thing and continue to hop on trends. And so TikTok really keeps us on our toes in a way that I, I think has been really good for, for our creativity. For sure. They're very impressive. Um, Hannah and I, I would not say we dabble in TikTok. We've never made one, um, but Watching we watch a lot of them. We love to watch <laughs> them. Um, we do gather around and watch TikToks. <laughs> so I definitely can find the appeal. And I know that everyone's always posting on there, that the algorithm's always changing. And I know my For <laughs> You page is always changing. So I'm sure that it is difficult to stay relevant on there. So obviously TikTok has a young age demographic. You know, a lot of users are young users. So do you guys, is that your target age market? Like, do you have a specific age demographic that you guys are usually marketing to? Or is it just kind of like the need base is more of the driving force behind it? Yeah, so it's, so our users the people wearing the clothes are first generation south asian americans so i'll say 30 in their early 30s and younger so tiktok definitely has has that part of the audience yeah. definitely skews younger but has that part of the audience but what i'll say is our customers are their moms and so you know as of right now tiktok doesn't skew as much towards that age range so so we've had to always you know be creative because we're speaking to two different audiences but the reason why the moms are so involved is because in when shopping for south asian clothing in general you know we talked about us video calling our grandmother before as something that was just this huge inconvenient way of shopping but in general it's a very sort of family oriented thing to do that together and so even when um, a young woman is, is you know, a, a young professional, I should say, it's and could afford to get this clothing herself, the mother is still really, really tied into the process. And so we, we really have to have to talk to both. But our thing has always been if we can get these first and second generation people like us excited, they'll be the ones also telling their moms, right? Like I want to buy from Sani. And that's something that we have seen a lot of. And it's really cool because these moms will often tell us she's never been excited to shop for our cultural clothing before. And now she is. So, so that's why TikTok is still really important to us to, to still get, you know, people in, in our age range excited about the brand, even if they're not the ones actually putting down the cash. Yeah, I think that's amazing that you say that you've gotten younger girls excited about purchasing clothes for um, like their their cultural outfits is what you were saying. I think that's amazing. And that really speaks to the need for something like Sony. And you guys have come to fill that need, which is awesome. 
Um, so to kind of switch gears to talk about you guys' outfits and your designs. So we did a little bit of research on you guys and we saw that you started renting pieces on Rent the Runway. So can you kind of tell us how that came to be and how that's gone for you guys so far? Yeah, so um, we, that partnership was kind of funny. When we started Sony, we always knew that we had dream partners, right? That people we wanted Sony to be associated with and Rent the Runway was always one of them um, because we thought this is a great platform for not only us to increase our brand awareness, but there were a lot of non-South Asians that were coming to us saying, I'm going to an Indian wedding, but I really don't have the need to purchase an outfit. Like I would much rather rent one. Um, And so we really went to Rent the Runway to A, um, increase our brand awareness and cater to those non-South Asians and the population of South Asians who maybe wanted to try Sani, but um, weren't ready to fully invest in a piece. Um, And so that partnership started when one day Nikki was just on her email and like saying, you know what, I'm going to figure out Jen Hyman's email and send her a message about why Sani should be in Rent the Runway. And this was one of those shot in the darks, you do it and you pray and you see what happens. And 99% of the time, nothing will happen, but maybe there's that 1% of the time something will. So she literally tried all variations of Jen Hyman's email. Like she tried Jen at the runway. Yeah. Sorry. She's the CEO. Um, Jennifer, like everything. I think, I think she had CC'd like six emails. Um, And so she sent the email and got a response from her. And one thing I actually forgot to mention is that the way Rent the Runway was started was actually when the CEO went to DVF and the same way kind of just knocked on her door saying like, I want you to be a part of Rent the Runway and I want you to be the first debut designer on Rent the Runway. Um, So she responded, she introduced us to her head of platforms and she said, I love this idea. Let's talk and see if we can make it happen. So one thing led to another and we were talking to their head of platforms, kind of telling them this whole idea about carrying South Asian fashion at Rent the Runway. Um, And the conversation started to go. And then a few months in, the conversation kind of dropped and nothing was moving. We were emailing back and forth, but nothing set in stone. So we kind of played this card where we were like, hey, we're going to be in New York for the weekend. Do you want to meet and talk about this? But Nikki and I had no plans of being in New York. We just wanted to make it seem <laughs> like we were going to be there. And we met them in New York. They learn more about the garments. They learn more about the purpose, how big the market is. And they were ready to place that order. Um, so we got the order that day. And the easy part was... I guess done in a certain way, but then there came this other hard part about actually producing this order because this was our biggest order to date. We had never made this kind of volume and that was a mess that I can go into if you want me to. But ultimately we ended up launching on Rent the Runway in February of this year, which was really, really exciting. Obviously it came at a little bit of a weird time with the pandemic hitting right afterwards, but I think it was really great for Sani and almost an inflection point um, for growth for us. That's so cool. I personally have used Rent the Runway before. Um, I got my prom dress on it for 
whenever I was a junior in high school and I loved the process. It was incredible. It was so user-friendly and so easy to have access to it. And I love that your point of people who wouldn't necessarily need to invest in a piece or they're just going to an Indian wedding one time. And I think that's an incredible point is, you know, this is a great opportunity for y'all's fashion to be out there, but then not have to actually fully invest in a piece when you know you're only going to need it once. And I think that's how Rent the Runway has been such an awesome company for people to use and for women to use to who are going to go to one-time occasion events. Um, but you also mentioned that you guys had a hardship in there, and I would love to hear more about that, about what happened. You know, I'm, there's always bumps in the road, so hearing more about that I'm sure is going to be beneficial. Yeah, there were a few bumps in the road, but the the biggest one was probably so I had gone to India at the start of the order to to kind of kick things off and then had had you know come back to the US. It was going to take a couple of months to produce the clothing, so it wasn't about just necessarily staying there. And it seemed like everything was going fine and one morning I get a WhatsApp text of, you know, here are the, the dyed fabrics, things are moving along, you know, like a progress report. And two of the styles were dyed in the opposite colors. And um, in addition to that, they brought up a few questions, which really concerned me. And so I got that text on a Wednesday and I was on the plane to India on that Thursday. And it was really uh one of the hardest things that that we've had to figure out before from what are we supposed to do how are we supposed to um afford this mistake all the way to how are we supposed to tell rent the runway and how do we make sure they don't think that we're we're not a reliable partner and so in the end it all got worked out. I mean, we had to extend the timeline and literally start the the order from scratch, but they were really understanding. And, um, you know, what, what that experience really taught me um, was, I mean, sure, when you're a young company, you're going to be pretending you're bigger than you are when you have to. And that's exactly what we were doing. And I don't regret that in the slightest. That's what got us the, the opportunity. But it was more a major, major shift in mindset. When things used to mess up before that, I know I would feel, and and I definitely can be more pessimistic than Ritika. She helps keep me, uh, keep me positive. But I would always feel like, why is this happening to us? Is this a sign of some sort that this isn't meant to be? And over the course of that, and talking to mentors and trying to get all of their advice to, to figure out what to do, I realized that, you know, that is just, that is just how it goes. Like that is being a business owner and whether you are two years in or 10 years in, like that, that's what's going to happen. And business is just about problem solving. And, you know, so, so I, I have this like nice shift in mindset. I'm feeling good coming back from India. The package is supposed to arrive a, a week after that. And then FedEx loses our package. And all of that, all of, you know, what I thought I had built up in my mind in terms of positivity and everything went out the window. And I was like, why is this happening to us? And again, I, I had to get a shift in perspective because I was talking to, a cousin of mine who's, you know, in the, in the family business. 
And again, they've been in business now for decades and decades. And he said, oh, our shipment got lost by FedEx just last week. And so it was, again, just such a good reminder of this is how it goes. If it's meant to be, it isn't necessarily going to be easy. So all that's to say there were plenty of things that happened, but we definitely learned a lot from it. Yeah, that's definitely, I think that it's, it speaks a lot to, I guess, a lot of the entrepreneurs that we've had on our podcast have discussed like bumps in the road and how they've had to shift perspectives to kind of make it work for them. And it sounds like you guys did that and look where you are now. I mean, it worked out with Rent the Runway and things are going pretty well, I would say. Um, So (laughs) kind of switching gears one more time. So take us behind the scenes at one of your photo shoots. Yeah, um, of course. So one thing I will start off this conversation with is we have learned um, from our first photo shoot to our most recent photo shoot um, how to plan a lot better, right? At first, it was very much, oh, we got some pieces. Let's get some friends and let's go shoot outdoors, hire a photographer, like no like real pre-planning, right? But now we have a little bit more of a system to where we plan um, the inspiration shots before. We have hair and makeup down, we have photographer usually down, and then we go through as detailed from 10.05 to 10.10, model A is shooting in this outfit and we need front, back, side. Um, And then she's changing to this outfit. So it's really become something from, let's just throw some things together and create it to, this plan that is so detailed um, because it needs to be detailed and it's one thing to plan it, but then also get into the photo shoot and a million things will come up, right? Like you can't plan for everything. Like maybe a zipper isn't working on one of the outfits and it's getting stuck. Like what do you do then? Because that outfit needs to get um, fixed. So all those little things still do come up in a photo shoot. Um, but I think we've definitely learned how to plan it effectively and the time that goes in behind every picture, every photo shoot is quite crazy (laughs) once you really look at it all. Um, but I think it's definitely one of me and Nikki's favorite parts of Sonny because it's also really fun to get everyone together wearing the clothes. Um, a lot of the models are our friends, so it's, fun to hang out with them um, and collaborate with so many creative people. So now in terms of a photo shoot in a time of COVID, that was something totally new to us. We actually went back and forth a lot about, do we do this? When do we do it? I think we pushed it back like four months, like it was originally supposed to be in like May or April. And we just kept pushing, kept pushing. Um, But then after we saw some of our friends start doing photo shoots, um, we we realized there's a way to do it and there's a way to do it and be safe. Um, So what we actually did is we were all wearing masks, um, six feet distance between everyone, if possible. Obviously when you're getting makeup done, that isn't possible, but then our makeup artists were in PPE. um, So they were all protective and, Um, We were doing our best to sanitize things after models wore them, touched them, tried them on. And I think in the end, we really did make it as safe as a photo shoot as possible. Was it a lot harder? Was there a lot more planning? Yes and yes, but it turned out really good. And I'm glad we were able to make it happen. 
Yeah, I mean, I've seen the pictures on you guys' website and your social media, and they're gorgeous photos. And I think that the one of the questions on the website was talking about how you photograph the fabric. And then you guys kind of mentioned earlier about your own shopping experience, how when you buy something online and then it came in and it wasn't like that at all. Um, so can you guys speak to how you guys have really paid attention to detail and about how you guys have ensured that the product that's on your website is the product that consumers are getting? Because I think that's a really huge selling point for you guys. Um, and I think it's very applaudable. I don't even know if that's a word, but um, <laughs> yeah. you guys you. Accomplish that. yeah, so um, to tell you a little bit more about the first experience. So when we were shopping for that first Indian wedding that really inspired Sani, um, we ordered an outfit off eBay. And, you know, I think we kind of knew that things weren't going to turn out that well when we ordered it off of eBay, but it was just a, let's, let's hope they do. Um, and so the outfit that was in the picture obviously turned out nothing like the outfit we got. So when we do our photography, we try and be really detailed about getting, like you're saying, these um, fabric shots up close, pictures of the back, pictures of the front, pictures of the pockets, pictures of um, how the shoulders fit, um, the lengths of the skirts, um, all that kind of thing. And I think another thing that we've implemented to really establish trust with our customers, which is key, is um, a home try-on experience. And so what we do with some customers is if they're debating between three outfits, we send them all three outfits, they try them on at their home, whatever one they like, they keep and they return the rest. And we've seen really good success with that experience because in the end, when you're buying these clothes, you really want to feel them, you want to touch them, you want to trust the brand. Um, and I think that's a way of doing it that works well for us and the customer. So why do you think that there are so few companies in this market of South Asian fashion? Yeah, I think it's, it's well, so, so in India, there are tons and tons, right? And it's a super, super saturated market. And from our experience, it's very much been a matter of, okay, it's, it's over there. There's, there are options over there. And so people have kind of been settling for that. Um, the reason why I don't think there are as many businesses over here doing what we do is because the supply chain is really, really hard. And this particular type of fashion also has so many culturally entrenched beliefs and mindsets that you have to navigate. So first, the, the supply chain, right? So most businesses that exist in the US that, that are doing this kind of thing, they're, I mean, they're all getting their clothing pretty much from India, whether they're making it from scratch or, or buying it wholesale. And as you can probably imagine, having a, a continent, being a continent away from kind of your, your sources is hard enough, but also there's, it's harder to do quality control. And in India, there is very much a culture of customization and, you know, just making a few pieces of something. And so there, there aren't as many um, sorts of manufacturers, definitely at, at the level that small businesses are operating at, that are just, you know, churning out hundreds and hundreds of pieces of something. And so the, the quality control just doesn't need to be there as much in many ways. And they have so many tailors over there that it's easy to quickly fix things. Whereas over here, 
we don't have that same kind of network of tailors. It's a lot more expensive. And so once we get something from India, it's it's very hard to, you know, fix it if, if there's something wrong with it. So so there's the that that supply chain. And then also speaking to the culturally entrenched mindsets. So like I said, it is very much a, a family affair to shop for South Asian clothing. There are certain mindsets around how blingy something should be and how much gold it should have on it. And you might see that that our outfits are uh, more based in simple elegance. And so there's there's a big culture of, of bargaining. And so there are all of these different things that don't make it an easy industry to, to operate in, especially over here. So I, I really think that's why. And it's simultaneously... A, a tough part of being in the business and in some ways it's also a good thing right because it's not that uh there are new competitors popping up every single day i think that's a great answer to the question and i was gonna ask why it's important for businesses like yours to exist but i also feel like you kind of wrap that answer up in and of itself as well um whenever you were talking about why there are so few companies i think that that's a great reason for yours to exist and i do think that you guys have some pieces that you said simple elegance and I think that's an incredible way to describe it I think that you guys' pieces are breathtaking and absolutely gorgeous so while you guys' pieces are so beautiful what has been your response to your breakthrough in the fashion world like what's been the response to your brand within the fashion industry Within the fashion industry at large I'd say South Asian fashion doesn't have much of a platform as yet I think it is just starting and there's this really big um, designer in India. His pieces are thousands and thousands of dollars and, and are really, really carefully and, and richly made. But but my point there is he's kind of at, at a different part of the market. He just um, started to build like a flagship store in New York, started selling some of his stuff at Bergdorf Goodman and and is one of the people spearheading uh, South Asian fashion's visibility in the overall sort of US fashion market. And what we did with Rent the Runway was also meant to be a part of that, right? Because for us, it's, it's not just about operating in a niche. It's about opening up our niche in many ways too and showing people what South Asian fashion is and how much it's affected all types of fashion. And so, the answer to your question is, is, you know, I think it's, it's just beginning our sort of involvement with the larger fashion industry. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. And I think just by the large following that you guys have created, especially since your brand has existed, I think really speaks to how it will continue to break through in the fashion industry. Um, so tailing off of questions about the fashion industry, what is it like to work as women in the fashion industry? Mm -hmm. Oh, <laughs> Nikki, do you want to take this? Sure. So I think in, in fashion in general, there are definitely a lot of women who are designers and stylists and uh, executives at, at, big fashion publications or anything else there, there are a lot of women involved so where i've felt 
like being a woman in this business has been much more so on the manufacturing side. So again, like I said, we get everything made in India and we actually work really hard to find sort of women-centered factories. So um, one, they're, they're employing women, but, but really using ethical manufacturing practices and things like that. And that's been an effort over time that where I think it's, it's gotten better. But for really the start, right, I was walking into these factories with these older men who would call me beta, which beta means child. And they wouldn't take me seriously. They would look at whoever was there with me. Um, and they, you know, if another woman was with me, like my grandmother or my mom or something like that, they would talk to them over me because they felt, you know, they're, they're the older ones. But if there was also a man, they'd talk to the man first. And I often found they would not take me seriously. And that no matter how much... I would say, you know, this, this is my business. You need to talk to me about it. Um, they, they just wouldn't listen. And it wouldn't be until a man said it that something would actually happen. And that's, that was really, really hard for me to deal with. And Rithika has been there for a lot of those, those phone calls where it, it gets me really, really upset. And of course, she hasn't been able to always go to India because she's in school. So that's why I say when when I was walking into the factory. But it, it's been really hard for me because in many situations, it has been easier for us to just get a guy in our life to just say what we need to say, and it'll be done quicker and more effectively. But obviously, everything within me feels like that's not what I want to do. And so um, to answer your question, uh, after going on that sort of rant, it, it's really I'm still figuring out how to navigate it. And I don't know, like when it came to the rent the runway order, and things were already messing up, I made sure there was a guy there with me every time I went to the factory to reiterate everything that I was saying. And it was a matter of you know, this is already messed up once, there is no room for error anymore. And so, uh, but other times I've just tried and tried and tried until something's happened. And, and sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So I don't know, you know, it's, it's definitely hard. And uh, I'm also 5'1", so it doesn't happen that I'm like as short as a child. <laughs> but um, it's, I mean, you know, I, everyone has to navigate it in their own unique way. And, and this happens to be the one of the parts that we have to navigate. Yeah, I think that that's an incredible story. I think that that really speaks bounds to women in that industry and in a lot of different industries. I'm sure people will relate to that story, you know, in different parts of what they've experienced. And I know we've heard kind of not that same story, but just different versions of that in different podcasts that we've had, you know, about being looked down upon just because you're a woman. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have come so far um, as women in the in different industries, you know, in fashion and business and music and all these different things that we've been talking about, but there's still so far to go. 
Um, the fact that we're able to have these conversations is incredible. And the fact that we are opening up this space for the dialogue and that you guys can have these businesses. I mean, people that couldn't have women couldn't have businesses like that, you know, so long ago, not so right. long ago, to be, um, to be clear. Um, so we have come so far. But the fact that you still have to have a man with you is shows just how far we still have to go. And I think that that's really inspiring that you bring that up. And I think that that kind of gives us something to work towards, um, you know, working towards a better tomorrow where we can, you know, women are enough and that they're taken seriously as soon as they step into a room without ever having to prove themselves, without you having to explain that you are the owner of this company and it's your company and you should be able to be taken seriously. Um, you should just be taken serious just on the fact that you're you. You should be able to walk into a room and demand that kind of attention. So I think that Absolutely. that is really speaks balance to the industry and you know whatever you guys have gone through um and i think that that kind of works us towards the future even more the fact that you guys are willing to share that story with our listeners um so with that being said um where do you guys see sonny going in the future in the next five years yeah so we want sonny to again be promoting South Asian fashion, making it visible in mainstream destinations in every way possible. And that, so pre-COVID, that included actually a, a potential department store uh, partnership. But it, it means that we are not taking South Asian fashion, again, putting it in a niche. And what it also means is that we are creating the best experiences for customers, our customer who has been overlooked for a really long time and hasn't been delivered a, a great experience. That means we are uh, creating these really incredible pop-ups across the country. This means that people are really excited to, um, or, or feel like they can trust the brand uh, even from the, the website, it means that we are introducing new innovations to our designs. And, and that's something we're actively working towards in terms of, of fit and sizing and functionality. So I, I know those are like three sort of different categories, but all kind of going towards being the go-to brand for this culturally inspired fashion. Yeah, I think that that's an incredible, you know, goal and um, out or plan. I think better is a better word for that. Thank you guys so much for coming on this episode. We've been it's been such a joy to have you guys on and get to hear your story. Um, it's been really cool to hear all about the fashion industry. I love to look at it. So yeah, it's been great to talk to you guys. We really appreciate you guys taking the time to come on. Yeah. yeah. Thank, Thank you all for making a podcast like this. It's it's so important to talk about these things. So we really appreciate what you all are doing. Thank you. Have a great night, you guys. You too. Bye. All right, guys. So that's it for this week's episode of That's My 20 Cents. Be sure to tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode we are now on all major streaming platforms for podcasts, so be sure to follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Bye, guys.